0: Hello, and welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Jackson, and it's my mission to share the science of human behavior in a practical, fun, and inspiring way. In each podcast episode, I interview an expert from the fields of psychology, well-being, leadership, parenting, or high performance. I pick their brain to uncover what they know about living well, what tips do they have for you and I, and I quiz them about how they apply their expertise in their own life. Join me as we discover simple, science-backed ways to live, learn, flourish and fulfil your potential. Hello and welcome back to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm Ellen and this is episode 74. And today's guest really challenged my thinking about how we teach and develop our skills at work and maybe everywhere else in our lives. So I spend considerable time presenting to groups on topics such as stress and resilience and teamwork and leadership and wellbeing and productivity. And the way I do that is pretty old school. I stand at the front of the room. I sometimes use slide decks, although I still have a tendency to refer to them as overheads, which is probably testament to my years at university in the early 1990s, when lecturers would write on transparent sheets and project their notes onto a screen using an overhead projector. Do you remember those? Does anyone under 30 even have any idea what I'm talking about. That's how long ago it was. Anyway, I stand at the front and I pose questions and I provide information and I challenge my groups to complete little exercises, usually using notebooks and pens and sometimes post-it notes and butcher's paper and markers. So like I said, it's old school. And I reckon that there's merit in doing things this way. One of my of working with groups is to create a common experience and a common language across a team or an organisational unit or maybe a whole workplace. So we share the same words, we share the same ideas. And I do believe that human to human connection is important in learning. And I always try to get a few laughs during a session because I know that positive mood really contributes to our openness to new ideas. So standing at the front talking might be old school, but I think there's some benefits in that. But to be fair, I've not really given a huge amount of thought to other ways of either creating this content or providing these learning experiences up until now. But my guest today, Thomas Siguime, who's the co-founder and COO of Tribe.ai, and they provide new ways of developing ourselves professionally and personally, and he got me thinking about how technology might be able to help us solve some of the trickier issues of learning, like practice. It's all very well for someone to listen and learn and practice a new way of thinking or doing something in a face-to-face workshop, as we all know, we then leave the session and we go back to our busy lives. And even with the best will in the world, we don't always get an opportunity to really practice that new skill or that new mindset. And so that's one of the topics, just one of the topics that Thomas raised in this conversation that we have for you today. And it really got me thinking. And if you're like me, you love to learn and think and I know you do, because I know that's a defining feature of the Beautiful Potential Psychology community, then I think you're really going to enjoy this interview, Uh, not to mention learning a little more about Thomas himself and his fascinating story. So A little plug, Thomas Agema is not just a guest here on the podcast today, he will also be a speaker at the PafAO Sydney 20 event, which is now just a week away. So PafAO, People Analytics and the Future of Work and their fabulous Sydney event are our partners for this episode of the show. The event's taking place on the 3rd and 4th of March 2020 at the Amora Jamison Hotel in Sydney CBD. It's the preeminent event in this part of the world, focusing on bringing together leaders, practitioners vendors, academics and all of those interested in how people data and analytics will affect the future of work and our daily lives. So to find out more and register to attend, go to perfow.net, that's pafow.net, that's p a f o w.net and don't forget to use our special discount code which is sid syd200 for a big discount on your registration fee. Okay, let's get chatting to our guest. <music> With me today is Thomas Igeme, the co-founder and COO of Tribe.ai, a technology platform that uses the science of habit building to help people reach their full potential. Thomas is an engineer by training and instructor and researcher at Stanford University in the United States, and his LinkedIn bio simply states, I build tech that unlocks the potential of people and teams. But I happen to know that there is so much more to him than that. Thomas is here with me to explore diversity and inclusion, technology, learning, growth, and fulfilling our potential.
1: Welcome, Thomas. Thank you for that intro. That is a lot of things that I'm supposed to be covering um, in the next (laughs) episode. um, But I'm up to the challenge and looking forward for the conversation. Thank you so
0: much. Fantastic. We'll, we'll keep it broad and just see where it goes. Yeah. To kind of kick things off. I'm intrigued because I've had a look at the tribe.ai website and I need to know more. What is this? What is tribe.ai? Who are you? What do you do? And who do you serve? Okay. Um, I love that. So I'll probably start with
1: what we're trying to do because I think everything kind of falls from there. Ultimately, what we are trying to do is remake the professional skill development experience. So what we fundamentally believe is that today's um, business worker looks much more like an athlete, a high-performance business athlete, than they do a factory worker. And yet our approach to learning and skill development has not kept up. And so what we do is we merge um, workshops and coaching traditional training with a practice element to actually help you build muscle memory around these new quote-unquote soft skills. Um, And we do that through a wide range of disciplines. If you look on the website, you can see them all. But we deeply focus around diversity, equity, and inclusion for two reasons. There's a business reason for it, kind of science shows that that is the number one investment that individuals and companies can make in their bottom line from a soft skill perspective. Um, so while we teach a range of leadership and soft skill development, we'll do it through the range of um, diverse and inclusion. And the second is deeply missional for us. So... I'm diverse and I'll walk through um, if we get the chance at some point to give you a bit of my story. But suffice it to say, I'm one of those people who, if it were not for an investment in diversity and inclusion, would never have been able to have the opportunities I've had. And it is deeply in my mission to be able to create that for other people.
0: And I will get you to share that story soon, but I'm interested to know, just in terms of the thinking for our listeners, so if we kind of parallel this idea of our Top performers, you know, in business, and I suppose we often think of the the leaders of large organizations, but these are also, I'm guessing, going to be professionals in their areas of expertise, whether that's, you know, a science discipline, a technology discipline, a a pure business, engineering, medical, whatever it might be. So taking those individual and really thinking and and what struck me is when you said that you know there has been this shift Mm -hmm. from what was expected and therefore what we needed to help support people with from a learning point of view perhaps even 20 or 30 years ago to what's expected of people today and that parallel with the athlete you know we've gone from even if you look at our local Australian rules football when I think back to what was expected of the athletes then, the footballers then, which was really still largely an amateur-type competition, to what it is today. You know, we're seeing that parallel shift in our professions. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm seeing that.
1: And so I love what you're calling out. One is the fact that just like the performance level required of folks in business is much higher than ever. But literally the work is more complex than it has ever been. Um, And it's more complex for a number of reasons. There's just literally so much more technology. So there's so much more you need to know and be an expert in to win. It's also so much more global. So how you need to interact. And in a world in which work gets more complex, more global, and changes at a faster rate, increasingly what we used to think of as soft skills, your ability to communicate, your ability to lead across diverse teams, your ability to communicate effectively, rise to the top. There's a bunch of science around that, right? You need to talk to any business leader today who's really thinking about their talent management and building those skills across their organization is their number one goal. The challenge, though, is that the way those skills develop is very, very different than how you develop your proficiency, say, in a a computing language or any other like real kind of technical skill. Mm -hmm. Um, What we like to say at Tribe is these things are all simple to understand but hard to do. The challenge with communication is not, there's nothing I can tell you about communication that you can't walk into a self-help bookstore and buy 30 books about tomorrow. The challenge is not that information. The challenge is, well, what gets in your way of doing that tomorrow? It's you're stressed, you're busy. Um there's a million things going on. There's a deadline coming. And that's where that role of I called it muscle building, sometimes we call it habit building, but it's all about like what really um distinguishes, and it's true in sports, the true top out performers from everyone else. I'll use the example of tennis. I love Serena Williams. It's not that nobody else can hit her backswing the way she can. It's just that she can do it much more consistently than anyone else. And so what we are trying to help is how do we help professionals really hit that peak performance day in, day out, as much as possible, as much likely as possible to it.
0: And so is part of that just the practice of it, the actual doing of it, because I think, you know, I teach a lot of this sort of stuff in workplaces. And one of the things that I'm always at pains to remind people at the end is that, you know, you can sit here and listen to me (laughs) and you can love what I'm saying. And hopefully you have some mindset shifts as a part of that. But until you do it, until you put it into practice, it's kind of meaningless.
1: Exactly. And so we actually have what we sometimes very fondly call our brain gym, but it's actually a mental practice platform. Um, that comes with what um, everything we do. And so what it simply does is it's a process by which we encourage people to do that practice day in, day out. So what really differentiates Tribe, and I say is kind of like my proud engagement stat, is that the average Tribe learner is going to practice on our practice platform any of these new skills 4.3 times a week. I mean, what I like to say, Ellen, is if you practice any new skill, just kind of take a moment to think through it, apply it in your day, four times a week um, for the next eight weeks, you're actually going to have to try pretty hard not to get better at it. Mm. And that's really where we differentiate ourselves. Mm. So there's a ton of people out there doing really great training. Our difference is you're guaranteed that most of the folks are going to be in there. 60% are actually daily active users. So you just imagine the kind of change you're going to get in your organization in a very short time.
0: And at a really practical level, what does this look like for the end user? Is this something that do they log on? Is is it a phone app? How how does that work? So you access it off of your phone. It is a phone-based
1: web app. You access it through your calendar. So much way in the spirit of habit building, it's all about picking a certain time of the day and building that in. And then we base our approach on cognitive behavioral theory. Just the simple idea that... The way we think affects the way we show up, which affects the way we behave and vice versa. And so what happens is you just do a small reflection exercise. That's really all it is. It's made up of about five questions a day. The questions keep changing every day. They're designed to take no more than one to two minutes, but they will always cover three things that have been scientifically shown to accelerate behavior change. First is self-awareness. So just taking a moment to ask, did I do my best at that new skill I wanted to? Or did I not? With no judgment, because we're all going to have moments when we don't. The second is what we call visualization, which is a big fancy word for just taking a moment to learn. So, hey, if I did the thing, what did I learn from doing it, right? Mm-hmm. If I went in and tried to engage in feedback, for example, um, in a different way, what did I learn from that? Or if I didn't, what got in my way? And what my, I want to do differently? And then lastly, and probably the most important part, is intention setting. So what's one thing I'm gonna do differently in the next 24 hours to actually build on that skill? And it's a simple activity of going through that, right? Which is really the core of the power. And then what we build around that though, is this whole motivation engine, AI-powered motivation engine to keep you coming back. And so what that motivation engine does is three things. First is just motivating you. So when you're doing it and coming in there, there's gamification and baddification. When you aren't coming in there, we will remind you why you wanted to do it. So as you are getting set up, we'll take a moment to ask you, what were you hoping to achieve? What are you hoping is different? What are you doing it for? And we'll kind of surface that to you in the moment to keep you going. The second thing it'll do is it'll connect you to other people who are working on the same skill. I think one of the hardest things as a professional working on your professional development is it can feel pretty lonely. But, you know, if you're working in that room, there are hundreds of other people, probably in your organizations, millions across the world, who are also probably trying to work on exactly what you are. And we just connect you to a couple of others where you can share your wins, encourage each other, et cetera, and just get that sense that you're not alone. And then lastly, we do a bunch of data analytics for you so that at the end of your week, The investment that you've put in developing your professional skills feels very similar in terms of the data you get back to the investment you've made working out with your Fitbit. And so you can get a sense of, you know, how much time did I spend doing this? What did I win? What did I find that I worked well? What didn't? And so those three things together, the motivation and encouragement coming from the AI, the social element coming from connecting you to others, and the data coming from this kind of serve to create this really advanced cool system. That keeps people coming in.
0: Yeah, there are so many things in there that you said that was kind of setting off little light bulbs for me. I think, well, firstly, it's coaching, really. You know, I, I do a lot of coaching one on one with people. What you've described is really just the kind of thing that I would do face to face or online with an individual. But so it's really, and the goal in any coaching engagement, as you know, is always to help people to then self coach. So I guess that's part of this as well, getting into that habit of self awareness, self reflection setting the little test and learn goals, yeah. you know, where do I go from here? The other thing, but just, you know, the consciousness raising about mm-hmm. it that comes from that of what went well. And I love that you said that without judgment, because mm-hmm. we know that when it doesn't work, we've tried and it doesn't work. That's where we're going to get the best learning yeah. from when we're able yeah. to consciously reflect on that. And instead of going, Oh, okay, no, I'm not looking at that. I'm never doing that again. Cause that was uncomfortable. Yeah. Exactly. It's actually getting to that point of being able to say, you know what, that just, felt like a disaster, (laughs) you know, I tried to give that person that feedback and it just did not go well. Why not? You know, what could I do differently? Yeah. And then the other thing that I love that you, you mentioned there is that relationship, that connectedness element, because, and I've had a couple of conversations recently, actually with podcast guests about the need for us probably to recognise more Mm -hmm. the importance of our environment, that you know, the container we sit in, the people that are around us in order to maintain our motivation because a little like, you know, you referenced the Fitbit there, a little like our physical exercise, you know, we try to kind of set off on these solo missions to get fit and often we fail because we just don't have that support of other people around us. Yeah, Perfectly said. Yeah, look, amazing. That's very cool. And one of the messages that I think I received when I was doing my little bit of background research on this was that this is really starting to look at what can professional development, Mm. and really it's personal development in many ways, isn't it? What does that look like or what does it need to look like for the current and future generations?
1: 100%. And a story that I just really love that I think just really epitomizes this, um, is actually kind of one of my favorite success stories, where we've actually launched what we did with one company with this guy, Emilio. He's early in career, just coming in, um, stepping into a new role, feeling a huge amount of intimidation as he's coming in. And as someone who is Gen Z, Emilio is just like not used at all to any kind of learning or engagement that looks like what we offer today, typically. A big workshop coming in, anything that's like two hours long. I hate to put him on the spot, but he does not have the <laughs> attention span for a two hour <laughs> thing, um, let alone an hour. He's deeply used to things being deeply personalized. He's highly self quantified. And so, in many ways, what's new about what we're doing is not the core. I love that you talked about that this is what you work on with your coaches. There's nothing about this process and how people learn that is new. Homo sapiens have learned for the same way for as long as our species. You go back to the Greeks, this is exactly how Socrates. Yeah, absolutely. Socratic method. Yep. You know, it just it goes back as long as our history. So that's really not the element that's new. The element that's new is how do you package that in a way that feels scalable, that's able to reach Amelia where he is over there? And really, that's what we're aiming to use technology to do um, because we we hit those scale factors. And the cool thing then that you get, and you just have this like really wonderful story about how he'd been able to work on his imposter syndrome, realizing that and able to leverage, one, the sense that he wasn't the only one working on this and how alone that he'd been feeling, as well as the sense that he was actually making progress where he thought he was stuck. And it's those kinds of like very real stories about reaching people out there that certainly keep us excited.
0: Yeah, that is exciting. I think that is one of the, the great capabilities maybe of the technology, you know, just the current technologies that we have and and these rapidly evolving technologies, you know, being able to keep up. I I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, both boys, and I try at times to envisage what life's going to look like for them, even what high school might look like for them, and it's hard and it is starting to try and adapt our thinking to what might that look like, what could that look like, and what do they need given that the nature of their world in some ways is so different. I mean, obviously, as human beings, as you say, in some ways, life hasn't changed for (laughs) generations and generations and generations. And yet our environment has,
1: right? Yeah. And one of those, just kind of two things that that sparks for me as you talk about, first is just, so then what do you teach when all you know is that the world is going to be completely different than anything you can know? And I just go back to some of those core things like grit and resilience. I think more and more we see that rise to the top in our approach. And it's why this element of practice is so important. Because we think that no matter what skill we're working with you on, communication, et cetera, the real core skill that's probably going to have the biggest impact on your life is the ability to learn how to do intentional, deliberate practice on something. And we make a big deal about the difference between just doing something and practice. Mm -hmm. And my favorite example of that is I've been doing drinking wine since my 21st birthday. I am no closer to being a sommelier um, or even a (laughs) connoisseur than I was when I started. Um, And so, the difference between kind of what I'm doing at my dinner party and what a sommelier in training is doing is that intention to improve. Am I learning? Am I paying attention? Am I doing my that? Am I paying attention to the senses? What am I smelling? what am I tasting? What is that different? What do I learn? That journey, the difference between that kind of drinking wine at dinner and the sommelier is really the difference between what we would generally do out there and what you might do when you're learning with tribe. And picking up that skill is amazingly transferable across everything you do. And if you have that ability to learn, to adapt, to reflect, you're kind of guaranteed to win no matter where you end up.
0: Yeah. I love that. The intention. I, it's something that I've talked a lot about with some of my colleagues recently about, you know, just wellbeing. So yeah. I have an upcoming interview on the show with Dr. Susie Green, who is one of our leading positive psychologists here in Australia. And we were talking and listeners will be able to hear this soon. <laughs> uh, we were talking about mindfulness, you know, because that's part of this process as well, just this intention around stop. And she uses this little stop acronym, which is stop, take a breath, observe, proceed. Mm. And in a way that really kind of parallels this, I think yeah. what you're describing there yeah. in, in terms of our learning, that it can't just be blundering forth with whatever it is, because even practice, as you say, like to keep wine, won't necessarily be enough. There has to be that kind of willingness to, okay, stop. Take a breath. Take a breath is a great way to, you know, just create that pause, that bit of moment and observe, you know, where that intention is that, you know, just being able to kind of notice what's going on, which creates that self-awareness and then proceed. So building that into a platform sounds perfect. I love that. Funny little, just little
1: anecdote um, or story. It sounds like we've intentionally plagiarized Dr. Green because actually the first thing you do when you get in um, on the tribe tool is it does ask you to take five deep breaths before you get into the process. And there's so much about what that does physiologically. And so just, anyway. I love that STOP acronym. I'll be listening up to that podcast.
0: Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Actually comes from her upcoming book, which I can send you the link to okay. as well, Called Thank Positivity you. Prescription. Thomas, so we've got a little bit of a sense now of what it is that you're working on at the moment. Mm-hmm. How did you come to this? Where, where did this originate, the idea? And, and tell us a little bit about your history. I think to understand
1: kind of my passion behind this, it's helpful to just kind of go a little bit of a ways back. So I yeah, sure. uh, live in America um, now, I've, I've lived for a number of years, um, but I was actually born and raised gay and poor in Kenya. Um, and the reason that's important is you have to understand that for most of like the first 18 years of my life, being who I was was either something that didn't exist, um, something that was a capital offense, Um, or something that was worth a year in prison. And so when I first came to America at 18, um, with exactly $273 to my name, my professional aspirations were as much about survival as they were about self-actualization. And so from the beginning, this connection between, and I love you called it out, like, professional development, personal development, those have always all been one and the same for me. It's just about the ability to really build and live the life that you would want. And so I was very fortunate, taught myself to take the SATs, was able to earn a diversity scholarship to college. That's how I went to Stanford University. Um, Went on the way through kind of two degrees later, I was able to support my family. And since then, This idea of how you help people build the skills they need to transform their own and their family lives has just deeply been the focus um, of my career. And so how you build kind of that learning that really delivers behavior and culture change is something I studied first in sub-Saharan Africa with health policy and going back there, moved on to the world of sales at LinkedIn, and then finally really found my calling with studying it with professional development. And so just how do I help people climb these really steep skills is the core of what I want. And then everything else is just, I'm a scientist at heart, right? And an engineer by trade. And so I just believe in using the best of the best out there. And so much of the science over the last 15 years has made it pretty clear what it looks like to chart that path. And Tribe is really just an amalgamation of all of the best of that science packaged in a way that hopefully anyone can access.
0: Mm. So this is very... As you say, deeply personal for yeah. you. I'm wondering whether, as you've described that, this has perhaps been part of your personal experience. You know, perhaps developing some of these skills yourself, as you say, in order to survive initially, and and then to thrive yeah. as yeah. time's gone on, and then now being able to share that with a broader world.
1: Absolutely. I mean, in many ways, like this is the path to growth that I've experienced. And part of what I, what I was rallying against is at least when I looked at my chart to success and looked at all the people who I've seen, particularly who'd overcome huge kind of obstacles, just so much of what I believed to be true for me and I saw to be true of them was not what was generally being practiced. And so this was a lot of the desire to kind of bring that out there. And it's not that people didn't know it. I was fortunate to have some amazing executive coaches, always shout out to coaching, who were instrumental for me. But I just realized that, you know, if we need to wait for people to get to a level um, in an organization where they can afford, or organization can afford an executive coach, we're never going to help everyone, and particularly the people who often need it the most. And so a lot of what Tribes Genesis has been trying to kind of close that gap um, recognizing that it's it's all out there, but how do we help everybody else um, realize it? I will also say though that the act of trying to build and run a company, um, particularly as you know, a black gay man, my co-founder is an Asian American woman as well, the odds are, are not in our favor in terms of success here at Wilson. So it kind of in starting to kind of share this with the world, this has kind of become the steepest mountain we've had to climb. And I've I am as much a user. A tribe as I am someone who goes out and espouses it. Um, In fact, it was literally just this morning I woke up, and and I'll be honest, a deep sense of anxiety. There's some big things that we have coming up, um, some big deadlines, big presentations coming in. I looked at my schedule. I wasn't sure how I was going to get everything done. And then I opened up my tribe app. I took five deep breaths. That helped a lot. And the skill that I'm working on right now is what we call joining forces or just network intelligence. And so my questions were about who in my network can I reach out to for help? I was like, okay, I can think of two people. And then, you know, what's a random act of kindness that I could do today to kind of share that out and take my focus off myself? And one came in immediately, which I decided was going to be towards you and the folks who are listening today. So I'll share a little bit of that letter. I'd love to live a, leave a gift at the end. That would be great. But you know, it's just simple reminders of the things we all know, once again, simple to understand. This isn't rocket science. I'm sure if I told you I was feeling anxious right now, Ellen, that's exactly what you'd have told me. But sometimes we just need a little help in
0: yeah, and it comes back to that intention, doesn't it? Yeah. And a little bit of investment. I think that's something that's really I've become increasingly aware of with the people that I speak to who really are thriving in their space. And and to be thriving doesn't necessarily mean, as you say, you don't suffer from anxiety yeah. <laughs> or you don't struggle on days or you're not mm-hmm. feeling overwhelmed. But part of that thriving is that intention around I will invest in myself, I will invest mm-hmm. in my goals, I will invest in Trying to be the best that I can be, even when that's hard, yeah. and being able to use something like Tribe, you know, it, that is quick and I'm gonna say easy—not necessarily easy because self-reflection is not always easy—but well, simple, simple, yeah, exactly, is a wonderful example of that. Thomas, can you tell us a little bit? We, we talked uh, briefly there about the diversity and yeah. inclusion, which to be honest, might not even be a term that a lot of our listeners are particularly Mm -hmm. familiar with. So could you tell us a bit more about what what that means and why it's important to you?
1: Yeah, so those are two really powerful questions. I'll talk about what it means and then why it's really important to me personally. So I'll just talk about like why I think everybody should be interested in diversity, quote unquote diversity. And I'll actually talk about the scientific reason. And it's this term that is increasingly known as collective IQ. And so the whole idea of collective IQ is that if you get a group of people together, they are going to be much more likely to be successful or a much greater predictor of their success is their ability to take advantage of a diverse set of ideas to win amongst that group than it is anyone's individual intelligence. And, you know, you can think about that like pretty logically, right? That means the more, if everybody thinks the same, then we didn't need everybody else in the room. The value of having different perspectives is we sharpen each other and we win. And so that simply is the value of diversity. It's just like, hey, we're going to get ahead and we're going to get ahead faster if we have different experiences and different perspectives. And quite frankly, from a business perspective, the businesses that win, and this is being studied again and again and again, the most recent study came out from the McKinsey's kind of, they do an annual report on the state of diversity. Companies that rate the highest on diversity outperform their peers in the stock market by up from 10 to 15 percentage points. So so that's kind of like the first just logical business imperative. The second one is that what it takes though in order to create an environment where diverse voices are heard is all about building inclusion, right? So it's creating a space where we hear different people and go. And a lot of times people hear that and think like, well, okay, so let's go get all the, racial or ethnic minorities, or let's bring in more women. But it is so much deeper than that. One of the big things that we talk about is what we're looking at is not looking for diversity of feature, but diversity of perspective. And so what happens when you invest in creating a space where those people are welcome is actually everybody feels a whole lot more welcome introverts or introversion versus extroversion, people who are new in career versus people who've been in career for a long time. When we start figuring out how do we work better together, it makes us win everywhere. And then I think the third part that's just really personal to me is if people had not been willing to invest in diversity, I probably would not be here. And when I say here, I mean here in every way you can imagine it. Not only would I not be here as a founder of a company, I would probably not be here earning what I earn and being able to support my family, I may not even be alive. And so when we invest in diversity, what we're really trying to do is just give everyone a fair shot, the core kind of value of what it means um, to be human. And so for all those reasons, so that we have businesses that win, so that we create workplaces where we all thrive, and so that we just give everyone a fair shot, it's really important to me.
0: Yeah, like you say, it's it's human. Yeah. It's really, it's being a good human, isn't it? At its core, yeah. is to allow everybody the opportunity to fulfil their potential exactly. by including them, by giving them opportunities, by listening, by caring. Yeah, and that is very much being human. I'm really interested, though, Thomas, because I know coming from I have a background in human resources, and I think whether it's the media, whether it's organisation or whether it's just that we don't give enough thought perhaps to the depth and breadth of this, you know, often diversity and inclusion is perceived as, yeah, it's equal opportunity for women yeah. or it just, it feels very one dimensional mm-hmm. and therefore doesn't, I don't think really appeal in lots of ways yeah. to a lot of people. What What's your take on that? Yeah.
1: So I think one of the first things we talk about is, is just kind of shedding the myth of like, what is diversity? Um, so we often talk about like the diversity wheel um, here at Tribe. And we talk about kind of like at least four different concentric layers of diversity. So helping people understand that everybody has a diverse perspective right? I gave some examples, right? Is it because of where in the world you're from? Um, is it because of where you've worked before? Is it because of how you like to work? And so, as opposed to us thinking about diversity as being women.
0: Yeah. <laughs> which really isn't that diverse. <laughs> We're 50% of the population. Exactly. But what is the unique perspective
1: that we are all bringing in? And then often what I actually find is a much easier way to get in because what I, what I don't want to pretend and not say is that there's real systemic isms for us to deal with. Sexism is real. Um, there are very real barriers to the success of women in the workplace that are real, that still exist today, and that are huge issues for us to address. But that's often not where I'm starting with the people. I don't expect to be able to solve, honestly, um, <laughs> thousands of years of patriarchy in a two-hour workshop. That's not our goal. (laughs) My goal, though, is, and let's go back to that collective IQ, getting very, very specific on what behaviors are we talking about? And you just called it out so beautifully, Ellen. We just want to make sure that every voice is heard and everybody gets a fair share to get ahead. So I actually start with like the most simple thing. If we just look around at whose voice in the room is being heard, and that's actually something you can really simply measure. And it doesn't matter whether it's a woman's voice or it's the youngest person who's just coming in or it's the recent immigrant. What are ways that we can make sure that we're hearing everybody's perspective and it's being equally considered? And you know what's going to happen if we do that really well? Well, we're going to start listening to women more, but we're probably going to, we're also going to start listening to the introverts more. And we're also going to start listening to the person who has to dial in over video conference because they're remote more. And that's what I mean by this world of everybody wins. The solutions that we are recommending, the behaviors that help the pro-inclusive behaviors we drive, aren't geared at helping any one specific group, but rather helping making sure that the place is fair for all.
0: Yeah, which is putting my kind of positive psychology hat on is really looking at what we'd call an approach goal. You know, what what is it we're aiming for? What is it we're looking to achieve? And it's, yes, you know, to some extent it's solving some of those systemic problems, but more so, you know, what's the appeal here? Because the exciting part, I think, for most people, because when we look at a problem like how do we solve sexism, well, that just feels a bit kind of overwhelming and deflating. (laughs) but how do we give everyone the opportunity the best and and create the best outcome here, whatever problem it is we're trying to solve, whether that's, a you know, I'm thinking about my city that I'm in, which is a regional city here in Victoria and traditionally perhaps not as diverse as it could have been. (laughs) Um, Although it was once upon a time, it was incredibly, because it was a gold rush town to start with. So it was incredibly diverse, but you know, how do we then be the best that we can be? Well, you know, The science, the research, and just, I think, intuitively, certainly from the way you've described it, you know, hearing from everybody and giving everybody that voice, giving everybody that opportunity, it just, it seems like the obvious logical path to becoming the best version of what we want to be. 100%. And because I, one, I can geek out
1: on the science forever and stay in theory land, and yet I really hope to leave people with something practical, something that I um, saw from a VP at LinkedIn um, that I really, really loved, which is with every meeting um, that she has, she has kind of one big question that she'd love to get everyone's input on. When she asks the question, instead of letting the whole team dive in, she has everybody take a moment to think about their three best ideas as an answer to that question. And then they go around the room and everybody shares their favorite before they begin to discuss. I dare you to try that in your next meeting and tell me if you're not surprised at what you hear that you weren't expecting and who you hear it from. And the reason I love that example is like, sometimes we complicate this stuff and diversity and inclusion feels like this really big thing. It is really as simply as making sure that everybody gets heard.
0: Yeah, look at that very much appeals to me, thinking back over some of the, the many meetings that I've sat in where the leader, usually the person with the positional power, gets yeah. up and starts talking and then you might get the occasional naysayer who's, you know, almost unstated rule is to be <laughs> devil's advocate in those roles or in those meetings and then you will get a lot of people who don't say anything or you just fall into line it does remind me, I've been reading Brené Brown's book, Dare to Lead, mm. and one of the examples she gives is of, and I think this is how it goes, in, in her meeting when she became apparent that things weren't being, you know, they weren't as open as she wanted them to be, she asked everybody, or now routinely, when they've got an idea, they write it down on a post-it note and then Mm -hmm. it's a case of one, two, three, and you turn it around (laughs) and everybody shows what they're doing. So similar sort of premise in that because her concern was that if she spoke up and said, this is what she thought, then others would just Automatically fall into line with that, or perhaps not fall into line but not be feeling okay enough to say something about it. So, yeah, wonderful techniques there to kind of create that just diversity of views. I think if we could reframe diversity to be a bit more, well, inclusive.
1: I love that. I wish diversity was more inclusive. Don't don't we all, don't we all. Um, I don't want to belabor this point too much, but just that question, which I love that example of who are we hearing from? And as we think about kind of how do you help bring in a more diverse group of people and what we're hoping to do at Tribe, I think the one other piece is um, that I'd encourage all of your listeners who perhaps are in positions of power, who are leaders, to just think about who are you taking out for coffee and who are you mentoring? One of our human biases is just to mention the people who look like us. And everybody does that. Mm. I am more likely to go out and look at the black young man in the office who reminds me of myself. There's nothing wrong with that. That's human. But here's the thing. If everybody just invests in the people who remind them of themselves, well, then guess what? No surprise that nothing changes. Mm. Um, and so, One other thing is I just encourage if there's think about who's one person you could take out for coffee or just ask um, on your team who doesn't remind you of yourself in the next week. And the reason I give once again with that is I think all of these things are just things that are going to help make our environments much more exciting, accessible, just more happy places to work.
0: Yeah. And that extends, I guess, beyond our workplaces as well yeah. into our communities. Generally, if people have roles where they're, you know, whether that's teaching, whether that's community work of some description, whether that's health work yeah. or, or just being a mentor, you know, I think about our local football clubs or just starting to think a bit more about yeah. diversity and the possibilities that come yeah. from that, the views and the interest. And it's really about being curious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. To some extent, just being open to, well, I wonder what that person thinks about this because they might have a really different view and that's interesting. Yeah. Does go a little against human nature though, as you say, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And again, it's, it, we've evolved this way, right? Like in group, out group, That's how we were, you know, we talk a lot at Tribe about our lizard brain. So kind of borrowing from psychology, fear, you know, fight or flight, places where we feel safe, places where we dare not. And so much of this is just about realizing, like, we're no longer cavemen. And so it's okay. (laughs) Uh, In order to uh, kind of progress beyond that between our caveman and cavewoman defaults, there's an opportunity to just kind of step up and look around. And I know I've said quite a bit about this. so I'm happy for us to move on. But I do want to underscore something that I think you kind of positioned and put in a number of times. And I just want to say I've heard you and it is so wise. We often speak about professional skills at Tribe because that's who's paying our bills. <laughs> um, so when companies are underwriting this, what they're often thinking about are leadership skills, professional skills, soft skills. But at the core, these are just really human skills our ability to interact with each other, um, to interact with each other in ways that are healthy, to know ourselves, to emotionally self-regulate. Everything we're practicing here is just about how we show up as our best selves for us and for other people. And so thank you so much for keeping on expanding uh, my view, certainly. I've I've even experienced that here, Um, that this is in no way limited to any one facet um, of our lives.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose I've come at it from that perspective, because that is what I do as a psychologist, as a coaching psychologist, as a positive psychologist in a workplace, is to help individuals to be their best selves. And it it fascinates me that I get to have these conversations with people from a range of different professions and backgrounds who are kind of coming at the same thing, you know, just from a different perspective. You know, how do do we do it through technology? How do we do it through science? How do we do this through... Business, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I know that's something, or I believe that's something that will really resonate with our listeners too, because I think one of the reasons they listen in is because they get the opportunity to learn a bit more about, you know, how to be their best selves as individuals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: wonderful. Thomas, I think we sort of touched on this a bit, but just in terms of the benefits of creating that diverse and inclusive workplace yeah. from a business perspective, you know, wh- how do you sell this? really, to organizations? The first thing that we often
1: do is just, there's the scientific kind of, it's been studied. Um, so it's been studied for the last 20 years, different places in the world globally. So depending on where your listeners are, they may be more or less familiar with this. Certainly from an American perspective in the US, we studied this for about 20 years. So it was really in the late 80s this came up. I know Australia has really studied this, particularly the focus on gender equity for a while. But depending on where you are in the world, we've looked at it from different angles. And so the science is generally there. Interestingly, I don't find a lot of businesses, at least in America, pushing back on that. But beyond that, often before we go into trying to become more diverse, and a lot of people think about how do we hire more people, et cetera, um, where we are often working with organizations is just look at the people that you are hiring today. Um, and if you do any review of your employee engagement survey, you will often unfortunately find differences in how different populations within your organization feel like they belong and feel like they're able to contribute. And once again, there's a very clear um, direct line between how engaged your employees feel and how productive they are. So at the end of the day, for like the executive suite, this is purely a productivity question. How are we gonna increase engagement? And the number one thing you can do to increase engagement is increase the feeling of belonging. And that is just a question of inclusion. So that um, cell ends up feeling fairly easy for us. I think the bigger push actually comes when you go into the organization. So it's not the executives coming in, but a lot of the pushback that you said where someone comes into the room and it's like, well, I don't understand why I have to spend a day understanding why we got to bring more women into our organization or whatever that complaint is. And I think once again, the big piece for us there is like, this isn't about the women in our organization. This is about you where do you feel like you get heard? And where do you feel like you don't? And how can you take a moment in the places where you feel perfectly comfortable and well heard to make a bit of space for somebody else? And how in the places where you don't feel like you're being heard and you don't feel like you belong, could you learn how to ask for what you need in order to feel welcome?
0: Yes, a connection, that connection, the belongingness, I guess it fits again within that kind of psychological safety type notion, you know, how safe do I feel to be myself? How safe do I feel to ask the stupid question or uh, to volunteer an idea without feeling that that's going to be shut down or career limiting in some way or or met with some kind of disappointment or disdain. So, yeah. And then just reflecting on that as I talk. And these are deeper, more human questions, aren't Mm -hmm. they? I think this is one of the things that I have both struggled with historically within workplaces, but I think Mm -hmm. is changing now is that once upon a time and whether this was a Hangover from the kind of early management consulting type days where we had to go in with flowcharts and, you know, basically these kind of processes to make things work. Yeah. And maybe that's where some of my resistance to even the idea of diversity yep. is from that organization, not from a real sense, but from that traditional organizational viewpoint has been, you know, it's kind of been. And I remember I had to complete because I was the HR person, the, yep. I think we called it the. Equal Employment Opportunity Survey or something or other like that. It was basically a box ticking exercise where I had to go through and count how many women, you know, were in different parts of the organisation and it just, it felt so pointless. (laughs) Yeah. And yet what you're saying is that this is actually really an opportunity to have deeper and more interesting conversations throughout the entire organisation about how we feel we belong, how connected we feel. And then starting to, yeah, consider that, is everybody here of a similar background? Are they all of a you know similar career path? Is that helpful to us? Because as you say, the science suggests that perhaps it's not. What are we missing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thomas, you, will, you are coming out to Australia shortly, is this right? Yes. Yes.
1: I'm going to be at the
0: PAVAL conference
1: um, in Sydney. Um, in a few weeks.
0: Yes, fantastic. And what were you telling us a bit more about tribe? Are you telling us a bit more about diversity inclusion? Do you know what you're talking about yet?
1: Uh, Always, always a good question. Do I know what I'm talking about? I don't (laughs) know what I'm talking about No, Um, But I will be I will be bringing a very specific diversity inclusion lens like your listeners have probably guessed from kind of our last conversation. This for me at its core is, is merely the lens or very important lens to look through it. But When we're talking about Tribe, I'm really just talking about these kind of professional human skills. Mm. But in Sydney, I will be deeply focused on diversity and inclusion and kind of what do we know about the value that it drives, why it matters, and what are kind of the simple new ways that we're thinking about how we address the problem that feel, and I'll use your language, Ellen, much more inclusive, Mm. that don't make it a woman problem, that don't make it an LGBTQ problem, but that make it a a
0: human opportunity for us to all manage of. I love that as an opportunity rather than as a problem to solve. (laughs) An opportunity to grasp. An opportunity to grasp. Thomas, I'm going to see you there at the Pafao Conference in Sydney because I too will be speaking there and I too am still refining perhaps what it is that yeah. I will be speaking about. So it's been great to talk to you about some of these things today as well because I think what I know I will be talking about is you know coming at some of our challenging business and people issues through an individual lens. So you know looking at what do individuals need, how do we actually recognise the role of individuals in trying to create better workplaces and thriving teams. So it's been wonderful to be able to speak to you about some of this. You've given me some ideas, which is great. Absolutely fantastic. And before I I, um, let you go. Yes. My intention for today um,
1: was to yes. give a gift, and so what, what we decided to do is just for any of the courses that we have going on, we just love to give you and any potential listeners one free workshop. So the current one we have is on managing energy, but if you look on our website, there, there are a bunch of those. I um, mean, all you have to do is sign up, and I created the promo code Potential. Fantastic. Thank you. And so that's it. Just kind of go in, and so. At the very least, go get a one-hour free workshop on managing your energy. And what we talk about too is just like time is limited, but your energy is an infinite resource if you can figure out how to manage it. And so how do you think about managing your mental energy, your physical energy, and your values-based energy? But hopefully that is just something that some of you, um, you and some of your users could feel as a gift either way it has been such an honor to spend this morning with you
0: well thank you I thoroughly enjoyed it as well and it's so interesting that you talk about managing energy because when and, and listeners don't know this because we were off the air at the time but the first thing you asked me this morning was you know where's my energy at how yeah. am I feeling and I said oh, a bit tired but I know <laughs> I get energy from these conversations and it's a bit of you know n of one pre and post
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> exercise I can say definitely feeling more energy energized now as a result of our conversation so thank you so much for that
1: my pleasure my pleasure
0: thank you so much for sharing that conversation with Thomas Igeme with me I love talking to and spending time with lights enthusiasts and Thomas certainly fits that bill So if you're keen to take advantage of the great offers that Thomas has just made for the PP community, pop over to the show notes for this episode at potential.com.au forward slash podcast. There you'll find the link to tribe.ai and the details not only of the offer to test the Tribe platform yourself and engage in some high quality science-backed personal and professional development, but you'll also find the links to find out more about Thomas and tribe.ai and some of the topics that we've covered in today's discussion. You'll also find details of the PAFAO Sydney 20 event where both Thomas and I will be speaking. While I'm talking about PAFAO, big thanks to Lara Al and the team for partnering with the Potential Psychology Podcast for this episode. If you'd like to find out more about PAFAO, people, analytics and the future of work, join their learning community or register at the Sydney event on the 3rd and 4th of March. You'll find all the details and a link to register at pafow.net. That's p-a-f-o-w.net. And don't forget the special discount code SIDSYD200. Now, what do we have coming up in next week's show? Well, I have another international guest next week. His name is Ryan O'Donnell, but he also goes by Ryan O. He's a behavior analyst by training, and I'm going to get him to explain to you and me what exactly that means. And in his words, he wakes up daily trying to fill the gap between this amazing science of behaviour and the billions of people that it could impact for the better. And he does that through creating cool video, by podcasting, through social media and more. He's a man on a mission and I can't wait to bring that conversation to you. That is next week, episode 75 of the Potential Psychology podcast. Have a great week and do what you need to do to thrive flourish and fulfill your potential.